0: It's Stacey Yui from Radical History Club, sending good thoughts and radical energy your way. You're listening to a Step Off Magazine production. Enjoy!
1: Internet's was good. Welcome to another wonderful episode of Step Off Radio. What's good, guys? You know? Happy New Year. Uh, Hope all of you guys had a great New Year and safe, healthy holidays. A lot of stuff has gone down since the last time we aired an episode. COVID still around, obviously. Things are obviously getting worse in that regard. The whole siege at the Capitol last week, white supremacist domestic terrorist, which is just, which is just ridiculous guys. You know, I'm really glad that the media and politicians as well, you know, are really pointing out the hypocrisy and the double standards to the police response to all of this guys, you know, just and the thing is, you know, was that these people aren't even trying to hide it anymore. It's crystal clear, bright as day that, if anybody, any group of people would have done the same thing that white people did at the Capitol, that those white supremacists done, if it was Black Lives Matter, if it was Latino activists, if it was Middle Easterns, anybody, there would be blood on the steps of the Capitol. 100%. As someone that has been to and covered, God, like hundreds of protests at this point, who's been Tear gassed, who's had rubber bullets shot at before. You know, there, I've seen more protections for an entrance to a freeway here in San Diego than at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. It's, it's just ridiculous, guys. Just to see that still white supremacists in this country aren't handled with kid gloves, it just blows my mind. And, we're, and and still you know Trump still hasn't been impeached through all of this like i i by the who knows by the time that this episode airs there may be some development in that but i i don't think republicans are going to be doing anything about that guys i mean this late in the game you know oh and then don't forget twitter facebook and instagram and so pretty much every social media outlet they finally banned Trump after years, years of violating the rules, you know, tweeting horrific, racist, sexist, misogynistic, just absolute fucking horrible stuff, guys. And here at the 11th hour with like less than two weeks, he finally gets banned. You know, I guess that a, um, an insurrection, an attempted coup was the final straw for all these social media platforms. And here's the thing, guys, you know, the the one thing that really irks me with all of this is whether it's journalists or politicians or all these media pundits, people saying that, you know, this isn't who we are. Stop saying that. This is who we are. At least this is what this country is. White supremacy incarnate. Is what we saw at that capital. And it is, is what this country has always been. From the time it was first hostily invaded. It's been this way since people were kidnapped from Africa. And enslaved and made to work in this country. For centuries. It's been this way when even after the Civil War, we're made to live under another century of Jim Crow law. It's been this way since this country hostily invaded the Southwest and stole land from Mexico. It's been this way since this country has broken every single treaty it has ever made with indigenous nations and stolen indigenous land in the name of manifest destiny, forcefully removing people, putting them into what are essentially concentration camps. We could say many things about this era in history right now, but don't for a second say that this isn't what the United States is. This is exactly what this country is, and this is exactly what we have been working so hard to change about this nation and our society. And honestly guys, that's why it's our job to make sure that when the history of this moment is finally written down that we don't allow these narratives to be swept under the rug, to be whitewashed, to be changed, to be altered, if you will. To not allow these narratives to be twisted and made to something they're not. Like we've seen so much history be done. And with that said, guys, that actually leads us into our guest that we have here on the show today. We have a great show lined up. We have the lovely Stacey Yui, who is a freelance graphic designer from here in San Diego, and she is also the writer, research, and creator of the Radical History Club. The Radical History Club is a series of history and activity books that explores a myriad of Underserved history, um, just all sorts of great subjects. The Radical History Club has covered everything from Reconstruction after the Civil War, COINTELPRO when the FBI was infiltrating and dismantling civil rights groups throughout the '50s, '60s, and '70s. They've also touched on stuff such as the Chicano Chicano rights civil rights movement and the uh, and the school walkouts, the blowouts, and they've. And of course, they've also touched on um, on other subjects too, such as housing discrimination in this country, and how that has also played a role in how our communities look and how they have been built up over the decades and even centuries. So it's just a really great series, guys. It is a it's a decolonized perspective of history that really re-centers the people who are closest to the pain and the damage that has been inflicted on marginalized communities throughout history in this country just a whole plethora of knowledge that is expertly researched and just put together in just a really beautiful way and with that said guys i really hope you enjoy our episode with stacy yui the creator of the radical history club
2: this DJ, he gets down.
1: All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in for another great episode. We have a, a fabulous guest on the show today. Uh, she is the researcher, writer, and creator of the Radical History Club. So please welcome Stacy Yui. Thank you for coming on the show and talking with us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm so excited. You know, so um, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, for our readers and listeners that may not be familiar with your work, or you know, are not from here in San Diego, uh, you know, you know, how old are you? Where are you from? And you know, what is it exactly that you do?
0: Yeah. So uh, my name is Stacy Yui. I'm 32. Um, I'm Filipina, Chinese American. I'm the daughter of two immigrants, uh, and I'm originally from Bakersfield, California. Um, I'm a freelance graphic designer and illustrator, and I also do a zine called Radical History Club that comes out uh, once every quarter, and it's just illustrated um, history lessons um, that kind of take history from the lens of the oppressed and uh, write the, the myths that we've been taught you know, in high school and, and growing up. Um, and I'm also a member of Asian Solidarity Collective, which is um, an organization that seeks to dismantle anti-blackness and build Asian solidarity with black folks and um, trans people of color. Um, and so that is also part of my identity, I think.
1: Excellent. You know I love that name, Radical History Club, you know just for the sake of asking you know what is the significance behind that name? How, what inspired you to name the Zine that?
0: Yeah. Oh, thanks for appreciating that. Um, I really wanted a name that, um, people could feel like they're a part of something. Um, I feel like it's important to emphasize, um, like the collectivity that's, that's necessary in order to understand these truths. Um, it's hard when you're alone and, um, just trying to learn for yourself. Um, but if we learn together, and if we all agree that there are truths out there that we need to be digging into and learning from, um, it makes it that much more easier and kind of like, a, like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, to me, radical really just means, you know, like making the conscious choice to kind of disentangle from the status quo. And I want people to pause when they hear things like radical or like um, far left because there are motivations involved in like in demonizing the other and putting these labels on things to, kind of get people to dismiss them right away or to be afraid of them. Um, but I want, I want people to embrace what, what seems radical. Um, because you know, when we learn through the right kinds of history, we get to take ownership of our labels and we get to be able to name for ourselves what those contexts around them mean. And I think it's important that we decide that, you know, radical doesn't mean, uh, out in the streets and throwing firebombs all the time. It also means uh, taking ownership of yourself, of your story, um, having the confidence and and willingness to question the world around you.
1: I love that. I love your breakdown of that radical doesn't always have to entail this, I feel like almost anarchist kind of (laughs) lens that is always shoved through as far as mainstream media and perception is concerned.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, i mean there there are moments for that, I will say, but it's not
1: all of it <laughs> yeah it's it's it, it's not this one dimensional look that always seems to be propagated yep. yeah you attended uh u c s d and you know you have degrees in art history and psychology, and you have this uh long background you've worked with like johnston Johnson the crock school uh classy when did you decide to go out? and kind of pursue, like, the citizen historian research uh, project and put these skills to, like, use, you know? What was the inspiration that kind of ultimately catalyzed you to start the Radical History Club?
0: Hmm, yeah, I feel like everything has, like, little moments here and there have just built up to where I am today, so it's hard to, like, you know, draw a map specifically of what that looks like. Um, I can say that I loved uh, researching and writing about art history um, in college because it allowed me to kind of learn history by studying how people react to or, like, respond to their circumstances, which is such a powerful thing Um, to be able to, like, understand an artist's background and their intention alongside with uh, researching the history of their time and, and the place that they were in. It's almost kind of like reading someone's diary and you get to, to know them through the artwork that they produce and that's such a special connection that you can develop with someone in the past, someone who probably, you know, never thought about you or never thought about people in the future looking at their work. Um, but I'm proud to call myself a citizen historian, I think, because even though I don't have like a master's or a doctorate in this practice, I, I don't think that disqualifies me from being able to do this work or disqualifies anyone really from, from having being able to do this. Um, and I think the most immediate catalyst for starting Radical History Club was um, understanding or kind of uncovering the Filipino roots of the United Farm Workers Union.
3: It's a part of American history that was almost forgotten. When farm labor leaders went on strike in California in the 1960s against the backdrop of the civil rights movement, one group played a pivotal role in the worker and immigrant rights. I never knew this history growing up. I don't think uh, anyone from my community knew about it. Marissa Arroy is talking about the Filipino community, who make up the third largest Asian population in the U.S. As a filmmaker, she is keeping this story alive. In the 20s and 30s, over 100,000 Filipino men flocked to America seeking new opportunities. They became migrant workers and followed the crop cycles all over the West Coast. Larry Itliong and the Filipino Manongs, which means elder, began the Delano grape strike to protest the unjust wages and poor working conditions of farmers. Farm owners often pitted Filipino workers against Mexican workers in an attempt to sabotage the protests. Despite those attempts, the biggest protest, the Delano grape strike, was built on the partnership between the two groups. On September 8, 1965, Filipino farmers led by Larry Itliong protested unfair wages and working conditions. Cesar Chavez, who led the Mexican farmers, wanted to wait two or three years before they protested. But Itliong told Chavez they couldn't wait. The Manongs were getting old. Iliong asked him to join forces, and together they founded United Farm Workers, or UFW. The strike lasted five years and gained national and international support. The successful protests resulted in a contract granting farmers fair wages, benefits, and protections.
0: It's so important to humanize and let communities know and let kids of color and their families know that we are part of American history. So I grew up, 30 minutes outside of Delano where the grape strike began. And I even volunteered with the UFW foundation um, just out, outside of college. Um, but I never knew the stories of like the Filipino Manangs and really just like the, the role of um, Filipino laborers in getting the, the right for uh farmworkers to be treated with dignity and respect and just having that whole um, history be erased or like not known to me um, I just felt like such a like I missed out on something Um, because when I did hear about it or learn about it it really gave me a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging like oh I can actually um, I have a place in this movement like my people have a place here Um, I don't have to follow that model minority myth of sticking with the status quo of um, you know making small waves but not making too big of waves because people who look like me who have the same cultural legacy as me decided not to do that and I, I can follow those examples of what it means to f- be Filipino um, to me I think like uh, a quote that I always think about often is like asada Shakur saying something along the lines of like no one's going to teach you the knowledge to overthrow them and that's what I want Radical History Club to do, is to help people kind of set themselves free and to be able to understand that they have a place in in the struggle. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's not something that's going to happen in the future. But each of us, every generation, has to try to be part of this movement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love how like the inception of Radical History Club, which covers this less covered history, is also find its its roots, therefore, in other history, like you said, like Filipino involvement with the UFW and stuff like that, which actually predates that, like Larry Italong. And, you know, they were the ones that, um, you know, really kicked that off and that Cesar Chavez really kind of, you know, rode that first initial wave. Uh Um, I just, I I find that... um, that's, that's so cool. That's fascinating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, like, imagine, I, I, I only just learned about that a few years ago. So, like, imagine just growing up your whole life thinking that being Filipino was one way and just having that all blown out of the water when you learn about Larry Leong and Philip Cruz and, and all of these, you know, giants, people who just dared to do something so unexpected when the stakes were just so against them. Um, it just makes you feel like you can do anything.
1: What was that feeling like when you learned about that history? Because well, a lot of people think about like UFW and farm workers' rights, they think uh, the Chicano movement, they think, you know, Chicano, Chicano rights and stuff like that. What was it like when you were exposed to that history?
0: Yeah, I felt like a more, like more of a sense of um, like connection um, to the movement. I think uh, like growing up in Bakersfield, um, you know, I lived in a predominantly white area of town, Most of the kids who went to my high schools and and elementary schools were white. Um, And so just knowing that there is this, like, movement on the national front that most people know about, the Chicano Chicano rights movement, and knowing that, like, I also am a part of that, or, like, people who uh, came from the Philippines also, like, had a a role to play in that. um, It was just an honor, really. And it's just very validating um, to feel like people have, like, forged this, this path before me, um, and so it's not like I have to kind of do something brand new or uh, forge the path on my own. There are, like, people and ancestors who have, who have done this work already for me that I can just follow and use as my guides.
1: So um, as we were saying before, you have a, a background as an illustrator and a graphic designer, and uh, just to tell you, these, these issues, they're beautifully illustrated and designed. Um, I, I love the way they look. You know, the Radical History Club. It reminds me of kind of like those old Golden Guide books. I don't know if you ever saw those. Yes.
0: Um, oh my gosh, I looked them up actually um, when you mentioned them in in the email and. I've never heard of them before, and I saw them, and I was like, oh my god, this is what I've been doing. I didn't know. It's just so cool. Like, time is really a circle, right? Like, (laughs) just everything just coming together in different ways.
1: Yeah, you know, everything is cyclical, especially now, what is old is new. And (laughs) honestly, you know, like, that's what fascinates me about this, because it reminds me me of these old dusty texts that I would used to find, like, in the reference section of my high school that no one would touch, because everyone was doing stuff online, but, um, (laughs) You know, the word aesthetic, it gets thrown around a lot these days, but, you know, what inspired the visual look and overall retro design of the Radical History Club series?
0: Uh, yeah, I feel like I, um, have kind of this obsession uh, with, um, stuff from that period. Um, I really love, like, pamphlets and documents from, like, the 1940s and 60s, like, Um, Even just looking at forms from that time period, I know it's like so boring, but it actually just like stirs my heart a little bit. Just all of the little details and like how you collect people's information or how you present, um, you know, a a worldview in like a pamphlet form. Um, And I also really love to like the serial aspect of like encyclopedias. Um, Like you were mentioning both those dusty um, books in the library. I had like a set of encyclopedias growing up. And I just loved how organized it all was. Um, you know, it's it's easy to just kind of, like, grab one volume and just know that you're going to be transported into this world that the cover is telling you about. Um, and the, the covers, too, are also inspired by, like, um, the Kitchen Table Press books. I don't know if you've seen some of those um, covers, but they're really just um, very clear. You know, they're usually just two colors, um, and they say exactly what they're about, which I love, because there's just something um, so, like, pure about being completely honest about this is what you're going to experience next. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and I think another um, thing that I that I took inspiration to was from the Black Panther Party newspaper. Um, Emery Douglas is one of my favorite artists of all time, and just, like, the striking power of... Having to be limited to two colors and just using visual imagery to get that message across to like evoke a feeling, I think is is um, such a gift that he has given to to the world. Um, and I think another thing too is um, I got uh, a copy of How to Keep Your Volkswagen Alive um, when I bought I bought a '66 Beetle like a couple years ago. And I thought I had these grand visions of um, like fixing it up and um, doing things myself, which I have no idea why I thought I could do that. Um, but when I bought that book, it, um, it's a beautiful book. It's like hand illustrated. Um, I spent way more time looking at like the illustrations and like how the book was organized than actually like learning how <laughs> to fix my car or to do anything for it. So um, a lot of those um, hand illustrations um, were big inspirations too.
1: Yeah absolutely I love the the retro style of so much of these like you said like books and like even just instructional manuals you know like now it's just it's just photocopied and just pictures you know it's it's so um I guess the word would be um sanitized I guess maybe
0: oh interesting
1: you know yeah
0: yeah probably and also like clarity too just like being able to be super clear about what it is that you're going to learn, what it is that you want to teach someone and tell someone about. Because really, like, pamphlets were just passed out at, like, protests or, um, you know, teach-ins. People only had, like, a moment to kind of look through them. And you really had to, like, catch those people's attention to tell them what it what it was that you're trying to, to convince them of.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. I, I think they're more vibrant from back then. I think modern-day stuff seems a little bit too it bland. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, so you you uh, speaking of like the Black Panthers and you know um, some of this inspiration, the Radical History Club, the issues that you have published, you cover a wide variety of topics. There's Reconstruction following the U.S. Civil War, uh, COINTELPRO um, conducted by the FBI surveilling and infiltrating U.S. political and civil rights organizations, uh, the Chicano rights, uh, the Chicano civil rights movement. And then even the history of discriminatory housing policies in the U.S. With so many um, undercover topics and injustices all throughout the entirety of U.S. history, you know, how do you go about selecting a topic to research with an abundance of them to pick from?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that just means that I'm never going to run out of material, which is great to know. (laughs) Um, There's always so much to cover. It it feels a bit random, but I kind of just follow the topics that I myself want to learn about. Um, You know, like I mentioned, I really am a citizen historian because I don't have degrees in these things. And I try to just um, kind of like direct the narrative or like I'll choose moments of resistance to help us better understand the context of the present, because that's... So that's really what I what motivates me to study history is so that I can better understand why is the world set up the way it is um, why do some people have everything and some people have nothing um, how did that come to be and how do we come to like accept like continue to accept um, the world as it is um, I think when you don't know history you're kind of left to interpret the moment based on these like micro the microscopic portal of what's in front of you alone like. You know, just the details of what you see in front of you. Um, But that's not really how human beings, you know, move in the world. Um, So I really want to choose topics that kind of dismantle the overly simplified assumptions that we make about each other and about ourselves. Um, So, you know, for example, you're like, mostly white, police-free suburban neighborhoods, they aren't a reflection of how hard you've pulled your bootstraps or how hard you've pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. They're actually, they've are actually actually been designed to exclude black and brown people. Yes. Or prisons. Um, they weren't created to, like, quote-unquote, put away bad folks. Um, they're actually the results of criminalizing the formerly enslaved to continue the business of exploitation. Um, there's so many different ways of viewing... The institutions and the systems that we have in front of us, um, that if we don't look back and look at how they came to be and who is benefiting from con- from having them continue, we'll, al- we'll always be in this perpetual cycle. And I think when we don't um, understand the history behind it, um, we're kind of doing a disservice to our ancestors and the people who have struggled to kind of break them down. Um, so, yeah, there, there are so many topics and I'll probably never be able to cover them all, but that's what makes this work exciting, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I like how you go on about the evolution of policing and prisons from drawing drawing that direct lineage from evolving from slave patrols and also um, imprisonment itself being just an extension of uh, slavery itself. You know, truth be told, every subject that you touch upon, the Radical History Club, you can have an entire collegiate course dedicated to studying them. And for every issue, you have like this daunting task of compiling a massive amount of history into what is on average like an 18 to 20 page booklet. And you know, you research, write, and illustrate all this by yourself. Um how long does it take for a given topic for an issue to be researched.
0: Yeah, man, when you say all that, it makes me sound like a mad person <laughs> taking all this on. Um, yeah, research, I, I guess that usually takes about a month. Um, and then the writing can sometimes take up to two months. Um, but there are certain topics that take just a little bit longer, too. So um, it, it can vary. Um, like the last issue on housing took me about um, like four to five months. Because it's just such a substantial um, like history, like no one has like the book of housing um, kind of written already, and, um, and it also like touches all aspects of our lives. So there's just so much to cover at once. Um, so that one took me a while, and then I also kind of try to incorporate um, you know contracting like organizers or like activists who have some experience in in each subject to kind of help guide my research. So that can take some time. Um, to kind of make sure that our schedules align and that um, they have time to kind of digest um, my writing and give me um, some feedback. Um, but I, I've been really fortunate to be able to work with some some really amazing people. Um, for instance, like with issue three, I, um, Ed Nunez, who's a critical pedagogue here in San Diego, um, he helped connect me with Professor uh, Isidro Ortiz at San Diego State, who's the professor of Chicana and Chicano studies. Um, and he just knew so much about all of this, and I gave him, you know, I emailed him my notes and said, like, you know, any pointers that you have, um, please just, like, let me know, and we ended up meeting at a coffee shop. This was before pandemic days, Um, and he just had all of these printouts of, like, articles, and, like, his notes were just scribbled all over, like, the outline that I had provided, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Like, I feel like I'm in school again, Um, and here's just this person who just decided to give me all of this wealth
1: of knowledge yeah one of the things i like about the radical history club issues is that um you include it's almost like a library book you include like a table of contents where you cite your sources too which i think is just amazing because so many people these days can just publish anything without citing their sources and then people just take it as gospel but you go that extra mile to actually cite your sources right there in the very beginning where people can go back and if they want to do further research they can do so.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I um I don't trust myself to just be like, "Hey, this is what I think." Like, don't you like I I wouldn't trust me. <laughs> you know, so I feel like I other people deserve to know where I'm getting my facts from and where I'm getting my research from too.
1: Yeah. And also kind of continuing on in that line, what would you say, what issue took you the longest? Was it the housing issue that took you the longest to research?
0: Yes, it was definitely housing. Um, And also, like, I started researching housing, like, right when the um, pandemic started. So there was, like, a lot of, um, you know, (laughs) self-reflection and just, like, panic that needed to get out of the way first before I could actually do it in, in earnest, so...
1: Yeah, and also kind of the continue on that issue, one thing I thought that was really cool is that you actually included a downloadable song in that issue from uh, local artist Real Jay Wallace, who is also a friend of mine that's been on the show before.
2: Oh, nice. Uh, I love
0: that. Yeah,
1: Ramel's is an amazing guy.
2: Let me tell you how it happened. I grew up in that yellow house off Logan and Samson. My dad lived there, and my auntie too. And I remember being there back in 1992 when my pops used to take me down to the Mickey D's. It was past the library, that was right down the street. And my whole family went to New Hope Baptist. That was the same place that I got baptized. The same place my mama married my step pops. The same place they had the funeral for my grandma. They let the ducks go into the sunshine and was happy because he had a sunshine. There was a time when you didn't cross the five cause Jim Crow told us to follow the I said Jim told us to follow
1: How did that particular um, collaboration come about for this issue as well?
0: Um, yes. Oh, man, this is probably one of my favorite things that's ever happened with Radical History Club. Um, we met each other through um, a, an organization called Come Through, and they do, um, you know, just like cultural events and um, creative events for people around San Diego. And we met for, it was like this photo shoot kind of thing where we were able to like get our headshots done. Um, and, uh, had previously purchased issues from Radical History Club, but I think that was the first time that we actually met in person. Um, and I was just like so blown away by his presence and he's just so easygoing and easy to talk to, but also like so passionate about, about what he loves to do and what he wants to tell people about housing and his experience. Um, so he kind of like reached out to me and, and told me like, you know, a lot of my work has to do with redlining. He, um, did some Airbnb experiences where he was teaching people about the history of redlining in Barrio Logan. Um, and I just was like, I have to, we have to like do something because here's this person that is doing something so similar to me, but in a completely different creative medium. And I think that's been really rewarding too with Radical History Club is, being able to connect with people doing their own things and, and doing what makes them happy. Um, but also like bridging what makes me happy, which is like design and illustration and, and storytelling. Um, so yeah, so that's how we, how we met and eventually worked together.
1: Yeah. Very cool. That's uh the song is called red lines. Everyone listening and you can get yes. a free download. If you get issue number four, zero zero four of radical history club.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, So ultimately, um, the mission of the Radical History Club is to decolonize our perspective of U.S. history and to unsettle capitalist colonizer perspectives. Why do you believe it's so important for people to be exposed to this history and to kind of refocus our understanding of this broader U.S. narrative through the lens of oppressed and marginalized communities?
0: Yeah, I think... I mean, I'll start with, like, the opposite of that. Like, if we don't learn these histories, um, it's normally presented and, and taught in school to prevent students from challenging the status quo and from um, questioning, you know, the world around them. And the myths that were taught in these classes are intentionally designed. They're intentionally made that way. Um, if we believe that, like, Indigenous nations willingly gave their land to settler colonials, we don't have to atone for the wealth that was stolen from people who continue to steward that land today. Um, If we believe that respectable white men in power are always the drivers of progress, then we don't have to seek to build power with each other. There's no chance in hell that we're going to be able to do anything on our own. But really, like, history is the exact opposite. It's written that way so that we kind of sit back and pretend like there's nothing we can do to change what's been done already. Um, And I hope I I don't sound, you know, overdramatic when I say that like not knowing this history makes mass death and exploitation and disappearance of people more tolerable. It makes it palatable for us. um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I like when we think the um, despair experienced by the poor and the incarcerated and the exploited is only a product of like this pandemic alone we're ignoring the legacy of oppression that gets repeatedly passed down. Um, history, I don't think repeats itself, but I think it follows a similar pattern, and it, um, it it succeeds when we decide that we can do nothing to change it. When we're kind of when we put our blinders up and, and think that um, history is only written by or history is only made by the people in power.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, the, there actually is a saying that goes: "It says uh, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it often rhymes."
3: And yes. I
1: feel like looking back at the history that you cover in Radical History Club, you can see very much a lot of the parallels, whether it's from 1960 or 1860 to our current predicament in 2020. Exactly. Now, following along in that similar narrative, particularly when it comes to young people, why do you, what, what do you believe is the significance of creating curriculum for students and young folk that challenges this mythology that's been passed off as history because a lot of it is just mythology that has just kind of been accepted as historical fact and what's the power of um bringing these marginalized perspectives to light that have just been erased through the decades and even centuries Mm
0: yeah i mean i guess that's It sounds corny, but, like, I really do believe this, that our liberation is is bound to each other. I I cannot be free until every single person is free. Um, And that means starting with the people at the margins of the margins. Um, When we interpret history from their lens and center those people, it's kind of like we're able to uncover something completely new, that someone who has always been in power and someone who always gets a say in what's going on, we will never be able to understand or present to us as like a new way of existing in this world. Um, I think we also get to honor people's uh, resistance and kind of like wake people up to understand that we don't have to continue living this way. Uh, these systems were built to keep us in our place um, and we don't have to continue to ignore how they were built up, um, we can actually like build power with each other. Um, I think there's also like this saying that's, that I've heard several places, so I haven't been able to figure out who exactly has said it, who said it first, but the people closest to the pain should be the closest to the power. And I think that is young people, that's people who are incarcerated, that's black people, indigenous people, you know, all of the, the people who have been historically oppressed, um, and we can learn something from them. Um, I, watched this incredible documentary called um, Since I've Been Down. It was through the Doc NYC Festival, Um, but it followed the Black Prisoners Caucus um, in Washington State, and these prisoners are teaching themselves um, how to teach other prisoners um, ethnic studies courses, mental health um, resources, and these are people who have been failed time and time again by us, by the system, by everyone around them, and yet they have risen to the demands to be called a human, to, to demand that they be treated as humans, and to give them like the means to determine what freedom means to them. And I think we have to continue to kind of look to those people, like, they deserve all the agency in the world to determine how they want to get free, and that also includes students too, young people, um, not just talking at them, not just like, hey... This is a syllabus. This is a test you need to take. We—it's on us, and by us I mean adults in general, not just educators. But it's on us to teach them in a way that they find entertaining, approachable, meaningful. Like we can't just continue to be in these stale classrooms over and over again because we're going to lose them, and then we're going to be in this predicament, you know, generation after generation.
1: Yeah, precisely. I like how you brought up the educators uh, part in the cycle because it's true, you know, uh, it, you can have the best history available to you, but if you do not have educators teaching it correctly, it is not going to get through the students. The one thing that I do like that the Radical History Club does is that for every four issues or subscription purchased, you donate a free uh, classroom set and um, and people have the option as well to sponsor um, students themselves. What has been the reaction from educators that have used your text in their classrooms that you've received?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm so grateful to be able to contribute in this way. Um, I, I started Radical History Club because I just wanted it to exist in the world. I don't want this to turn into like some capitalist enterprise that you know, I have to like make profits from. So it's really, great to have this kind of like Robin Hood economy throughout the whole process, um, to be able to have people who are purchasing issues and also having them donate them at the same time. So um, I don't know that I'm cool enough to be a teacher. I don't think, I don't know, I don't think I could withstand being in a classroom. So, But I really want to be like a tool in the toolboxes of other teachers who are already out there. Um, and the first time that Radical History Club was kind of like out in the world was at um, San Diego Zine Fest in 2019. And I met um, so many educators and librarians who were like excited about the zine. And this was like literally the first time that it had seen public eyes. So it was like being a, a magnet to like all of my heroes because I love teachers and I love librarians and everything that they, that they do. And that kind of validation was, was everything. And um, I've also had, like, educators tell me that they've used issues in class um, to talk about COINTELPRO or even just, like, uh, to tell them that zines exist in general. Um, I've heard some educators um, using zines to to teach students, like, how to self-publish and how to do their own research, um, which has been just incredible. Um, and, And one of the reasons I created Radical History Club was because of like the longing for my younger self to know about this stuff, like I, I think about like who I was when I was in high school and just how lost and <laughs> unaware of things that I was. and And just to know that educators are kind of like writing that wrong and raising other young people to know these concepts and to know this history, I mean, it's just ridiculous. i'm I'm so excited about that
1: yeah absolutely would you say uh and and your and your texts have been used in both high schools and college um, classrooms uh-huh. yeah that that that's so cool like you said like there i I also think back to myself as a teenager in high school and just trying to figure yourself out, let alone this <laughs> sanitized version of history and I was like, wow, I wish I had you know teachers that were you know I wish I had a tool like radical history club in my classroom. You know, when I was in high school. But yeah, I th- I think that that is so cool. You know, and like I said, you know, you, you pour yourself into this research when you're researching for like an issue. As you said, it could go on for months at a time. What have you learned yourself while conducting research for the series that, um you know, has surprised you the most while doing this background research? Mm, I
0: mean, if I'm being honest, I've learned... Like, everything I research and write is something new to me. Like, even though I think that I know something or I think I know a concept from watching a documentary or, like, you know, reading a couple articles here and there, I'm just always so floored by how much I don't know um, every time I do the research. So really, it all is is kind of a surprise. Um, And, like, learning about the people who were brave enough um, to resist also kind of interrupts this romanticiza- romanticization of the past um, where we think like, oh, like I used to think when I was in high school, um, like oh, I wish I like lived in the 60s so that I could be surrounded by, you know, all of these like black power folks and, and people who are like fighting the good fight. Um, and I think that's romanticization because, you know, they were fighting for their lives. Like they were fighting because they had to. It's It's not because you know, they had the means to do it, or, like, everything kind of lined up in in the right way, um, and I think what what has surprised me the most in this research is just bringing it back to, like, the humanization of people, um, since history is usually written to, like, glorify presidents, or, you know, actually, to be honest, like, mostly male activists, um, like, the people at the forefront, um, I've developed. I've been able to develop like such a love for like the small acts of resistance and uh, how those small acts get to like build and build into movements. Um, because I think that's how that's how people can become connected to these stories. Um, it's also taught me about like my own organizing work and how small acts like note taking or just like feeding your colleagues at a meeting or um, just having like one on one relationships with the people that you're building with those things are just as important to the movement as like making speeches and going to protests. Um, And so being able to kind of uplift the stories of the people who were there, who were like on the back end doing things um, is, is really powerful to me and uh, makes me feel good about what I can contribute.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's powerful stuff, you know, to highlight these um, lesser known stories, you know, the things that don't necessarily always get documented or or celebrate I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, since embarking on this series back in 2019, what has been your favorite part about working on Radical History Club?
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. I feel like I've said this throughout this interview a couple of times already. <laughs> but um, I'll just – I think – probably the best part is just meeting people, Um, meeting people who are as into this kind of stuff as I am. Um, I, and not just like educators in an official sense, you know, like meeting Ramel or meeting, meeting you, um, meeting Ed Nunez and and all, and all the other um, educators through Instagram even. Um, It's been just so amazing to get this kind of validation that I can do something that I love and that other people also love it just as much as I do. Um, and I, I created Radical History Club just because I wanted it to exist in the world and like the fact that other people are also appreciating it too um, it's incredibly validating I think
1: yeah and conversely what has been the most difficult part or something that was unexpected you encountered while conducting your research and work
0: mm, yeah I think <laughs> there's so much <laughs> <laughs> there's so much that's difficult Um the, probably the most difficult part is um, just knowing when to end, like knowing when an issue is like ready for publication um, because there's so much like undoubtedly because the issues are so short, you know, there's going to be people that let, left out. There's going to be stories that don't get said. Um, and sometimes I, I worry about kind of like becoming an accomplice to like erasure myself by not including those people in those stories. Um, but I, I guess, like, I still want to keep them short because I still want them to be accessible. I don't want people to feel like they need to read, you know, chapters and chapters of books in order to understand this history. Like, I kind of want it to be, like, an entry point. Um, and I want people to know that, like, these zines are meant to be a doorway um, to doing more research and, and learning more um, more stories because anyone can really do this work. Um, and like the narrative that I present is not the only one that can exist like narratives from different people can uh, can coexist in the same you know couch of like truth Um, so yeah so I'd say like the most difficult part is just being okay with like releasing an issue into the world knowing that it might not be perfect Um, you know I might be wrong like one day I might have to kind of Re look at the the words that I wrote and take it from a different lens. Like I think that's been the coolest thing about this generation after me is they have such a way of looking at things intersectionally um, that they can see things and look at things from the perspective of just knowing well this this side was left out or like um, this concept was never brought up. Just kind of like um, in issue three. Uh, for the Chicana, Chicano movement um, issue, I talked about, like, the Chicano movement and how some um, Chicana activists actually felt left out of the movement. Um, so it's, like, things like that that I'm sure future people will read my work and say, well, you left this out and this out, but that's what the beauty is of, um, of studying this and, and sharpening our analysis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel, as a writer myself, I feel like that is, like, the that is the bane of every writer's existence of trying to cut something down to the right portion and then and then self-critiquing afterwards like, oh, I should have put this in or why did I why did I forget that? So I feel your I feel your pain in, in that regard. Most definitely. <laughs> Moving on into 2021, you plan to release volume two a radical history club which will consist of issues 005 through 008 now i know you can't tell me too much about that but what can you if anything what can you say about these upcoming releases
0: Hmm. yeah i mean i guess it's not really that much of a secret i don't think um i really want to focus the next volume on imperialism and u.s imperialism here and also like abroad in other countries um I would really love to kind of dismantle this perceived allegiance to like the imaginary boundaries that we create around us um, because we have to understand like how the U.S. is presented to the rest of the world. I think there's a, it's very easy, especially when, you know, the U.S. is in, in, in the position that it's in around the world, for us to kind of only look inwards and only look at our own movements and our own histories to understand who we are as a people. But we've done such damage, and I'm sure you know that, I'm sure your listeners know that, we've done so much damage to other countries, and it's no surprise that um, the way that we show up in our own country has had ripple effects across the world um, when we go and um, colonize other countries and have a presence in other countries where we shouldn't. Um, So I'm hoping that this next volume kind of takes apart that idea of American exceptionalism and breaks down the idea of us versus other folks. Because we. Re- I, I really think that in order to break these systems down, we're going to have to work through an international solidarity lens um, because other people have been going through the same things that we have. And if we can learn from each other and learn about our shared histories and also acknowledge um, the responsibility that the U.S. has in shaping countries the way that it has for so long um we can get to a place of building with other folks
1: yeah absolutely i feel like especially now in this particular moment we are in as a country the topic of imperialism and nationalism as well is something that is very timely oh
0: yes yeah.
1: Yep. um yeah that's great i'm i'm very excited and looking forward to the uh the upcoming issues do you have a particular release date for the next one or is that still um this is is that (laughs) very
0: okay so um technically it's coming out in january but i am struggling if i can be honest (laughs) 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 to um to make that deadline um i'm still pretty behind and i think I I always had a vision of these issues being released quarterly, um, but I think sometimes life kind of gets in the way, and um, most definitely you kind of have to adapt to that. Um, I I think that also is probably a lesson that I've learned um, from Radical History Club is just not being so focused on perfectionism and um, you know maintaining expectations when it is literally, like, killing me. <laughs> so, um, I'm shooting for January, hopefully January, um, but, you know, you can always subscribe uh, to Radical History Club to learn more about um, when early states are coming out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, ultimately, what do you hope readers of the Radical History Club series take away from these issues that you produce? Because you, you cover such a variety of different topics. But uh, at the end of the day, is there anything in particular that you hope that readers just take away from learning all this um, underserved history, if you will?
0: Hmm. Oh, I like that. I think I might use that in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I hope that they take away a sense of of hope, honestly, and also validation, um, because it's easy to look at this history and see how people have been oppressed and feel sad about it, like you know, there is a time for that where we can feel, lament the failures that, um, that people have had to go through because of the system that we live in. Um, but I also hope that, I, I try to, like, include, you know, moments of resistance in every issue, try to um, show that, you know, people didn't just have this um, horrible thing happen to them and just take it lying down. Like, there were so many instances of people who resisted, even in the smallest of ways. Um, so I hope people can <clears throat> can see that and and take hope from that. Um, I also like grew up with a lot of internalized white supremacy myself, um, if I'm being honest, and um, also like felt the need to kind of stick to this model minority myth. Um, so I hope that for anyone who is reading these issues, who might also be in that um, stain, same same method of of thinking and idealizing um, that they take the time to read these issues and kind of question okay, who is benefiting from me thinking these things about myself and who is benefiting from me thinking that I'm not enough or that I don't have a place um, in this world. So um, I hope that you know someone gets some sort of validation from from seeing people who you know maybe might not look like them but also who have had like a shared cultural experience or shared ancestral experience um, that we can kind of learn and build with each other
1: yeah no doubt absolutely now uh, that this this interview uh, will probably be published after the new year but it wouldn't be a 2020 interview if i didn't ask about covid (laughs) <laughs> and I have a, a two-part question with this. What difficulties, if any, has COVID, because uh, COVID has thrown all of our lives upside down this past year, has the pandemic, for, whether it's be for working from home or just, you know, throwing our lot, being separated from people, has it complicated writing or making these issues at all? And also, as a citizen historian yourself, do you see any historical parallels to this moment and others in the past? in regards to, like, also just government neglect of our public?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, those are good questions. Um, yeah, so I think the pandemic has affected, you know, me like everybody else. Working from home is a challenge. I mean, I did work from home. I have been working from home, you know, for a couple years now, but now my partner is home with me, and so we have, like, a shared um, office space so things can get, <laughs> a little difficult sometimes to <laughs> so just focus on, on what I'm doing or finding time to myself. Um, but um, I think it's also kind of taught me, I mean, there there is obviously, like, nothing more that I want <clears throat> than for people to be healthy and safe, um, and I hate, you know, finding a silver lining in such a horrible thing, um, but for me, at least, the silver lining has been <clears throat> Taking it easy on myself for not feeling like I have to maintain this superhuman kind of uh, facade that like I can do anything and everything um, as long as I like work hard enough for it. Um, I think the pandemic has shown that this whole bootstraps myth is that it's a myth. Um, Precisely. That people can't work themselves um, to the bone and still maintain a livelihood. Um, while also, you know, being protected from this terrible um, virus. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I've just been better about, or not better, but just trying to be better about not needing to fulfill these, like, superhuman expectations of what it means to be a good person or, um, you know, an active member of society. Um, and then for your second question, I, I mean, I guess, like, i uh, one thing that I've seen with um, with COVID is uh, kind of like the resurgence of mutual aid groups, and also this um, participatory shared um, economy system that actually has you know had roots in like I think I think the first instance of um, mutual aid was in the 18th century. It was actually like a like a black church that started the idea of mutual aid, where people would pay like a weekly tithe whatever they could, and then at the end of that week or that month, that money would then get put into um, the hands of a family that needed it or that really demonstrated that they could use it for something else. Um, So I I guess that's, you know, again, I hate to make, like, silver lining out of this (laughs) terrible thing, but it is something that's confirming that, like, human beings can look out for each other and that like actually we are all that we have when um these systems are not gonna save us or do anything for us to survive um so that's been kind of like a confirming thing like oh we can like return back to these roots of mutual aid of helping each other of like small is all as um adrian murray brown teaches us um yeah
1: yeah i i love that parallel because we could also say these mutual aid programs that you said whether it be the 18th century and also going into the The Black Panthers in the 60s, the Brown Berets, and continued all the way up to this modern legacy in the 21st century. Um, Where can people find Radical History Club and follow you guys online, on social media, and to see all your other work and get all the latest updates for any future releases, any cool pins, any cool promotional stuff? Where can people all go to find you?
0: Yeah, so um, I'm at Radical History Club on Instagram. It's just the words spelled together. Uh, and RadicalHistoryClub.com is the website where you can purchase issues and you can also subscribe to the newsletter so that you can get the latest um, announcement when like a new issue comes out.
1: Perfect. Stacy. do you have any closing comments or anything else you'd like to let our listeners know about yourself or the Radical History Club or perhaps I may have missed?
0: <laughs> no, these questions were so good. I mean, obviously, you're so good at what you do. Thank you for um, taking the time to craft them and put them together. Um, I guess I probably the only thing that I, I want people to know is like, I hope that we all remember to teach people, and especially young people, um, like, we have to meet them where they're at. We can no longer be talking at them and expecting results. Um, we're expecting good results in a system that prevents us from being our whole selves and prevents us from, you know, having the agency to ter- to determine what freedom looks like to us. So um, I hope that you know, if anybody's out there who is an educator or even has kids of their own, um, that we learn how to like honor their agency and respect their personhood, um, so that they can, in turn, teach us more about how we can be better ourselves.
1: Profound and powerful words. Stacy. thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. Um, I wish you the best of luck, and I look forward to hopefully talking to you again very soon. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Well, guys, that's our show. Uh, once again, big shout out to Stacy Yui for coming on the show to talk to us about the Radical History Club. You guys can follow her on her social media. It's on Instagram. It's at Radical History Club. And you could also find it on Facebook, also at Radical History Club. We're going to close out our episode today with a song by another one of our former guests, actually. The one and only Real Jay Wallace. And our song today is called Red Lines. It is a song that is featured... On the latest issue of Radical History Club Issue 004 Housing How we built a foundation for white supremacy And the fight for housing as a human right So with that said We're going to close it out with Red Lines
2: I'm a native San Diego. Here we go I grew up in Yo, of uh, yeah. yo, what's the trip? Let me tell you how it happened. I grew up in that yellow house off Logan and Samson. My dad lived there and my auntie too. And I remember being there back in 1992 when my pops used to take me down to the Mickey D's. It was past the library that was right down the street. And my whole family went to New Hope Baptist. That was the same place that I got baptized. The same place my mama married my step pops to. Place they had the funeral for my grandma. They let the doves go into the sunshine, and Petey was happy because he had a sunshine. There was a time when you didn't cross the five, cause Jim Crow told us to follow them red eyes. Uh, yeah uh, I said, Jim Crow told us to follow them red, eyes, red, red lines. Them red Grandma went from Pensacola down to California To find a better life for all the daughters Beyond the corner It's either seek asylum or see the corner The KKK was hating niggas, hanging niggas We need opportunities and lots of jewelry And we need DMX praying at the eulogy When she arrived, saw discrimination and design The only place that she could live was in Logan Heights This was a time when you didn't cross the five Cause Jim Crow told us to follow them red lines, red lines. The red lines red Red, not red, 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 red,
1: This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego. And our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.